Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to John 17. Grab your Bibles and turn to John 17. It's a fun song. I need some sort of a, you know, Ryan Steps on the Stage music, right? John chapter 17, verse 6. Last week, Pastor Brandon started us off in a three-part series on the high priestly prayer of Christ from John 17. Uh, I'm taking uh, the middle part here this week. The next week, we'll finish it off. Uh, He started it last week. But basically, what is this prayer about? If I had to like whittle all of this down to what is Jesus praying for the night before he's betrayed, the night before he's crucified, what is he praying for? The bottom line is this. He's praying that his disciples would get ready to reach the world. That's it. He's praying that his disciples would get ready to reach the world. Therefore, he wants us to get ready to reach the world. And listen, I've got great news. The prayer that Jesus prayed was answered, and his church is reaching the world today. I thought this would be a great time to give just like a a small missions update on how our church and our fellowship is doing at reaching the world. Check this out. This is a picture uh, from the Harvest Bible Fellowship that just outlines what's going on uh, outside of basically North America. Outside of uh, the U.S. and Canada, we've got close to 40 churches in 15 countries that have the name Harvest Bible Chapel of somewhere. I mean, in Africa, Central Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Asia, uh, the Caribbean, Latin America, God's church is spreading, His Word is advancing, and He's using us to do that. Check this out. This is the first six people who were baptized recently at Harvest in Kuala Lumpur. That's in Malaysia. That's the first six people who got baptized there at that New Harvest Church. God is at work answering this prayer of Christ. We are a part of this work. In addition, this fall, uh, there's nine New Harvests launching in four countries. Uh, And also 15 people, uh, pastors, are entering the Harvest Training Center to get ready to go out and plant churches. Wow! Wow! There's over 100 churches in the Harvest Fellowship around the world, and we feel like God's just getting started. Listen, Jesus prayed that this would happen. Not only in our church and our fellowship, but in all churches and in all fellowships, he wants the world to be reached with the gospel. You're a part of that. I'm a part of that. And Christ wants to get our church ready this morning. He wants to get you ready to reach the world. Look at verse 18. This is the theme verse. I think of the whole passage. It says in verse 18 of John chapter 17. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let's pray and then find out how it is that we're going to accomplish this mission Christ gives us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you first for following the Father and coming into this world. Light of the world, stepping down into darkness knowing full well that we love darkness. Knowing full well that we hate light. Knowing full well that each one of us here would rather have a universe without a God. Thank you that you would come and save us. But you also send us, so help us to understand what our purpose and our mission is in Christ. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, we're in John 17, verse 6. It says this, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. 
Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. All right, what is it that Jesus is praying here? Well, he's identifying who he's praying for. And that group that he's praying for is defined by this phrase, those who you have given me. Jesus really wants us to know that there are two groups of people in this world. Time and again, Jesus divides the world in half. Sheep, goats. He divides it in wide, narrow path. Two groups. And it again makes us wonder which group we're in. The two groups here, if you look at verse 6, are those who are in the world and those who were given to Christ out of the world. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Here's the question that comes from this passage here. You can write this down. The first question we have to ask if we're going to actually get ready to reach our world is this. Do you belong to God yet? Do you belong to God yet? How am I going to get ready to accomplish God's mission and reach? Well, do you even belong to him yet? Have you been reached yet? Because according to Jesus, you were born grouped into this group called in the world. There comes a point where the father takes you out of that group and gives you to his son. There's a transfer. There's a crossing over. No one is born belonging to God in this sense. It happens at some point in your life that you become one of God's belongings that he gives to his son. Jesus really wants you to know, really wants you to know that the father gives all of his people to the son. He said in verse 2, Father, you gave them to me. Here in verse 6, you gave them to me. Verse 9, verse 24, verse 25, five times he said, the Father gave them to me. The Father gave them to me, gave them to me. Parents, do you have to repeat yourself every now and then to your children? I said, brush your teeth and get in bed for the hundredth time? Listen, when Jesus starts repeating himself, Father gave them to me, gave them to me gave them to me. What you have to understand is Jesus wants it to be crystal clear that everyone who belongs to God has been given to Christ by the Father. Therefore, when you ask the question, do I belong to God yet? You're asking if you belong to Christ yet. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean? Uh, There's many different ways to come to know God, right? I mean, there's not just the Christian way. Well, let's find out what the Bible says. It says in verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus manifests God's name. You know, in the Old Testament, God's name means his character. And it's a very unique way God reveals himself. Who was it? Who was it that the burning bush, talked? the talking burning bush, told God's name to? Who was that? Do you remember? It was Moses. And God said, you know, I'm going to tell you my name in a special way here. And, uh, and then you've got to be really careful. You can't misuse it. It's in the commandments. And by the way, the scribes and the scholars who would sometimes write out copies of the Old Testament, when they would get to God's name, they were too afraid to write it. So they would leave a blank. Maybe they were bad spellers. And they just thought if they slipped, 
who know, you know, but they, they leave a blank because it's his name. You don't misuse his name. And what does Jesus say here? I have manifested your name. Meaning Jesus claims to be a full revelation of God to humanity. Jesus claims in a unique sense to be able to show you the character and nature of God the Father. The next, I'm getting you ready for the next time you're at a family party and that relative, uncle or aunt or aunt says, Jesus never claimed to be God. You show me where Jesus claimed to be God. Okay, take him right here. Because he claimed to manifest God's name to the world. Wow. Have you ever wondered how can you know God? How can you see God? How can you find God? Have you ever asked yourself that? The biblical answer, you can't. You can't. You will never find him. You can't climb the highest mountain. You can't plunge to the deepest depth. You can't find him. You never will. Unless he shows himself to you. And God reveals himself to us. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, one way, he's revealed to us by his son. That's it. It's the full and final disclosure of God to humanity. It comes through his son. You'll never find him. You'll never find him unless Jesus shows him to you. I'm sure in your household, especially if you have young kids like us, you, there are things you're looking for that you can't find. Am I right? Like we have two girls in softball and a son in baseball, and, and we're going from game to game, and guess what? Where's the mitt? I don't know. We lost it again. We got to, where's the ball? Where's the shoes? Where's the face? We don't know. We can't find We're looking everywhere, right? And then the dog's eating it in the corner. He's like, I want to play baseball too. <laughs> Can't find it. I'm sure you've lost things in your house, right? Can't find it. Can't find your wallet. Can't find your keys. Looking all around for your remote control. And then starts the blame game, right? What did you do with my wallet? Where did you put my keys? Who lost the remote control? Can't find it. Can't find it. How frustrating it is when you can't find it. Am I right? Guess what? You'll never find God. You'll never find God. No matter where you look, no matter how you search, you will never find him if you look your way. He has to reveal himself to you. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to those you chose out of the world. Jesus is the only way you'll find him. Do you belong to God yet? Do you belong to him yet? Because Jesus says here in verse 6, yours they were and you gave them to me. Well, how do I know if I belong to God? Well, listen, it says here they've kept your word. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you sent me. How can I know God? How do I know that I know God? God the Father sent Jesus the Son to you with the words from the Father. The words Jesus speaks are God's words to you. And it's those who have kept the words of the Son who belonged to the Father. What does kept mean? Kept means obeyed. Kept means believed. Kept means you actually have to hear them. Well then, who are those that don't belong to God? Well, those that don't belong to God are those that don't believe them. Those that don't receive them. Those that don't obey them. They don't belong to God. You can't say, I belong to God and I reject the words from Christ. You can't say that. That's not the way God works. 
You have to keep his word and then you belong to him. I love that word belong. You're his. You no longer belong to the world. You belong to God the Father. There was this one time when Jared was like two years old and we were in the shopping mall and we were walking. You ever lose your kids? (laughs) Don't lie in church. (laughs) We're we're walking and, and, you know, we've got the girls, but once you have three kids and two parents, you're outnumbered. So, you know, and you're in the shopping mall, you turn around and it's like Jared's gone. Where did he go? I don't know. Where did he go? He's gone. He vanished. Two-year-old vanished. We're like, we don't know where he went. Well, then he comes running out of this candy store. He shoplifted. He stole like this giant sucker, right? And he starts, yeah! (laughs) And then out comes like the worker right after him. And, you know, is this your kid? It's like, "Uh, no, he doesn't belong to us. But, you know, we'll, we'll help find his parents. Don't worry. We'll take him to the security counter. We're... Yeah, he's ours. He belongs to us. But then when you see parents, and when you see other parents' kids acting up, you're like, man, thankfully those kids don't belong to me. (laughs) Are those your kids? (laughs) You haven't figured this parenting thing out yet, have you? You know the kids that belong to you. You know the kids that don't belong to you. God knows those who belong to him. God knows those who don't belong to him. Jesus is drawing a clear line of distinction between those who belong to him and those who don't. And if you're asking yourself, do I belong to God? The only way you can decide that from this passage is this. They received them, the words, and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they believed you sent me. You have to believe the truth of Christ. That's how you come to belong to God. You have to keep the word. Hey, if you believe God sent Jesus to reveal himself to you, and you accept the truth that Jesus spoke about your sin, your need for a Savior, then you belong to God, and He will give you to His Son, and you'll be His forever. This is the only way you can belong to Him. The truth is, this is God's plan from the beginning. In Isaiah 52, 53, which Christ is drawing a lot from this passage here, uh, it talks about how God would send this This one into the world, this servant who would disclose himself to humanity. Check this out. We'll put Isaiah 52, 6 up on the screen. It says this. Therefore, my people, God says, shall know my name. What did Jesus just say? I've manifested your name. They will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Who's speaking? God's speaking. Through who? Through this servant who is going to come. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And Isaiah 52 and 53 would go on to lay out that this is God's global plan to reach the nations. There would be one who would bear our griefs, who would be wounded for our transgressions, who would be crushed for our iniquities. And then this would be taken as good news to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus was getting his disciples ready for. But he's saying... I'm praying for those who belong to me to get them ready to go and take this message to the ends of the earth. So ask yourself, do you even belong to him yet? Well, what if I don't? Well, you're not going to believe you need Jesus then to show you God, and you're not going to believe everyone else on the earth needs Jesus to show them God. Therefore, you're not going to get on the mission. If we're going to reach the world, we have to begin by asking ourselves, do we even belong to God yet? Well, Jesus goes on then, in verse 9, reading on, he says this. Jesus says, I'm praying for them, 
group number one. I'm not praying for the world, group number two, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. Group number one over here, you picked the right side of the room to sit on this week. Very good. You represent those who belong to God, and Jesus is praying for you. Group number two, I'm not praying for the world. They're not yours. How harsh and cold? What do you mean Jesus isn't praying for us? What do those people over there have that we don't have? What do you mean he's praying for them and not praying for us? Does he not care about it? No. God so loved the, that's you, that he sent his, see, but he didn't just send his son. He sent his church. He didn't just send his church. He sent his spirit. You're going to them. So he's getting you ready to go get them. This is the plan of God. And here, Jesus is laying out his plan to rescue the world on the very night the world is unfolding its plan to kill the Savior. What love he has for us. I'm going to tell you guys my plan so that we can go out and reach people and you're over here getting ready to rid the earth of him. What love God has for the world, for us. But listen, I want to draw your attention to this fact. Jesus says, I'm praying for them. They are yours. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Listen, you're going to have a really rough road ahead of you if you're going to follow the mission of Christ and go reach them. So here's what Christ wants you to realize. He wants you to realize how secure you are in the Father. So write this down. Do you believe He will keep you secure? Once you belong to Him, He's going to put you on a mission And do you believe he will keep you secure? If you don't, you're not going to go and reach those people. If you do, you will. And I want you to just rest in the truth that Jesus just said, you all belong to him. The first point kind of talked about the man side of salvation. Hear the word, believe the word, keep the word, obey the word. That's all things you have to choose to do. But now he's saying, God did something that can't be undone. God, the Father, gave you as a gift to His Son. You think He's going to ungive it? God, the Father, made you His. You belong to Him. And He said, never will He forsake you. Therefore, you are secure, resting in the hands of a holy God. You belong to God. Nothing in this world can change that. You have to have that nailed down in your heart or you're not going to go on the mission Christ has for you. You don't belong to this world anymore. He saved you out of this world. Jesus says, all that are mine are yours. All that are yours are mine. This is important to realize. Do you understand the Bible teaches that God the Father and God the Son co-sign every soul that enters heaven? Well, I follow God in my own way. Mm, Sounds like you got one signature. You're not quite there yet. Both. It's both. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You've got to have both. In fact, in John 3.35, Jesus makes this bold statement. He says, the Father has given the Son everything. Where does Jesus claim to be God? I don't see that in the Bible. Uh, He claims everything that God owns, which is everything has been given to Christ. Co-owners of all the universe has and holds and all the heavens has and holds. In this context alone, if you look around, Jesus claims to have 
been given the words that belong to God. He's been given the name that belongs to God. He's been given the people that belong to God. And later, he's been given the glory that belongs to God. No other human will be given these things. So Christ is claiming that since all of this has been given to him, you have no fear of losing it. It can't be taken from you. You're not holding on to it. You're not holding on to your own salvation. Christ is holding on to you. And he's telling this to the disciples just before they have the worst weekend of their entire existence. Do you know how pathetic these disciples were? None of them was waiting at the tomb on Easter morning with popcorn, waiting to see the light show. None of them. They were all at home. The women were on the way to the tomb with flowers and, and, and spices and oils. Why? To get a body ready to decompose for a year. Okay? None of the disciples was a superstar. And Jesus is here getting them ready for the worst weekend of their life and trying to tell them, guess what? You're secure. The Father has given you to me and we're never going to have second thoughts about you. Even after this weekend. I mean, one of the disciples was seized that he ran away naked. I mean, it, pathetic, the worst day of his life. I was running through the, the, the whole naked at night. What happened? I was just chicken. I couldn't follow Christ. And, and then Jesus is like, later, come on back. Come on back. You belong to me. I'll let you write a book of the Bible. Come on. Really? This was Jesus' chance to be like, I'm going away and never coming back. And, and he wants them to know how, he wants you to know how secure you are in him. He also wants you to know how you cannot find the security in any other way. This really indicts the world. Look back at verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Meaning if you're not Christ's, you're not God's. If you're not God's, you're not Christ's. There's no other way to get to the Father. So anyone else who comes and brings you any other way to get peace with God or to satisfy his righteousness, this indicts that view. There is no other way. There is no other name. This is the exclusivity of Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You might feel like it's unloving to tell someone who believes something else that their way won't work. But if you really believe the gospel, then telling them that is the most loving thing you can do. And not telling them that is one of the most unloving things you can ever do. Do you really believe it? If you believe it, you're secure. You're secure. Verse 11, Jesus says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. I'm leaving, they're staying. They don't know this is happening. They're still in a food coma. They're half listening. What is he talking about? I don't know, I'm tired. What did he just say? He said he's leaving. I, maybe I don't know. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as, don't read past this, even as we are one. Jesus just claimed to be one with God. He said, I, am the, I and the Father are one. He's one of a kind. You can be united to God through Christ. You need a mediator to do it. The Bible says you can be adopted into God's family, but it's by faith. You are not by nature, united to God. But Jesus is. Jesus has enjoyed an eternal oneness with the Father forever. Nothing has ever divorced him from the Father. He's never wandered away and had to come back. No one has ever had to stand in between Christ and the Father and broker peace. I and the Father are one. Jesus said to the Father, we are one. 
So only Jesus, because he's human, can lay his hand on you, and because he's God, can lay his hand on the Father and bring you together. And once he does that, nothing can undo it. Not even you. Do you believe he'll keep you secure? Do you believe he'll keep you secure? There are people who will tell you there are other ways that you'll find eternal security. I'll never forget when I started college, I took a psychology class and the teacher got up in front and she was nice and and she was fun. So I thought, okay, this would be a good class. But the first day she got up and she said, the one thing I want you to know as we start this class is you don't have the right answer and you don't have the right answer and you don't have the right answer and I don't have the right answer. It's like so much for trying to get an A in this class. There's no, nobody's got the right answers. And then she started grading the papers, and guess what? There were some wrong answers. (laughs) She couldn't live by what she was saying. There is right and wrong. And it's a really proud thing for anyone to stand above four, five, six different worldviews and tell the Christian, you're not right, the Buddhist, you're not right, the Hindu, you're not right, the Muslim, you're not right. Who do you think you are standing in authority over all of these different truth claims and telling them they're not right? It's a very proud thing to say that even though it sounds humble when you say it. The truth is, there is truth. And you've got to pick one. You can't say they're all true. And they don't all teach the same things. So you have to pick the right one. And if you do, the Bible gives you assurance that you are securely kept. Jesus has to get them ready because he's leaving them alone. I'm leaving, they're staying. Verse 12 While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. All right, look back at verse 12. It says, I kept them in your name. Here the name of God means means his power. It can mean his character, it can mean his power. I've kept you. In the strength of God, which you have given me, I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except Judas, who has been talking about, been talking about here. Wow, so they were kept when Jesus was here, but now he's leaving, and he's leaving them alone, and he wants to reassure them that they're still going to be protected, even when he goes. I don't know how old your kids are, but our kids just got to the age, like last year, where we could leave them home alone, and uh, they thought that was the coolest thing on earth until it really happened. The, the first time it ac- actually happened, it was on accident. I was walking to the door, and Jared ran up. And he's like, Dad, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm leaving. i got to go pick up your sister. And he goes, you're leaving us alone? And Lauren was upstairs, but I realized he didn't know that. So I was like, oh, yes, I am. I said, you're the man of the house now. I'm going to leave you home all alone. You're in charge. And then I left, and I texted Lauren and said, hey, the kids think they're home alone. Have some fun. <laughs> And she told me later what happened. Jared ran into the kitchen as soon as the door shut. And he goes, Cassie, we are home alone. We can do anything. So they ran to the fridge and they heated up some spaghetti. Then they ran downstairs and started watching TV. And they're having the time of their lives, apparently, until then they started getting nervous. Then I started getting the phone calls from Cassie. "Uh, Dad? are you on your way home yet? Because we think we heard something. No, it's going to take me a little while, but you guys will be just fine. Then they like called the dog over. Spencer, come here and sit right here. Come here, sit right here. You know, for protection. 
And then they were being quiet for a while, so Lauren went to the, the edge of the stairway and just started throwing things into the kitchen. <laughs> then I really got the phone calls. Dad, we're hearing things. Come up. By the time I got home, they were a wreck. Oh, we thought we were going to die. Never leave us alone again. It's so fun. We're sick, aren't we? It was so fun. You know, Jesus is getting his disciples ready to be left alone. I'm coming up there. They're staying down here. And he's, he's saying, you know, even while I was here, I was the one keeping you safe. Not one of them has been lost except Judas, the son of destruction, Judas. But you know what? The scripture fulfilled. The Old Testament predicted that that would happen. There'd be an in, inner circle betrayer. So we all knew that was coming. In fact, we called that hundreds of years in advance. Jesus several times before it happened, said, yeah, one of you is a devil. Yeah, one of you will betray me. And they're all like, not me, I'm not going to do it. Jesus knew. In other words, Judas never belonged to God. He faked it. It's a good warning to all of you who are faking it in church. Faking it will lead you to hell. Hiding in church will will lead you to hell. You can't pretend to believe all of these things, but you really don't. You can't draft behind your parents forever and hope their faith will lead you to heaven. You really need to cling to it with all that you have. Judas was hiding right next to Christ. And guess what? Wasn't good enough for God. And off he went. So what a stark contrast between the disciples who had the worst weekend of their lives and yet God kept them secure and Judas who was never secure but acted like it and off he went to hell. The disciples would survive the worst weekend of their whole lives. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. (laughs) My joy? My joy? He's about to be tortured to death. My joy? What joy does Christ have? Well, he has joy in the Father that transcends the suffering of this life. My joy might be in them. In who? In those followers who just fled like cowards into the darkness. How anyone ends up at a place of joy by the end of this weekend is a miracle. My joy in them by Sunday. Wow. And listen, if you want to know you are held securely in the hands of a loving father who gave you to his son, if you want to know nothing that you or anybody else in this world can do to shake that truth out of your life, listen, understand the worst possible threat to your eternal salvation has already come. Uh, The prince of darkness personally walking up to the king of light and handcuffing him and taking him away and having him ridiculed and thrown on a cross and ended up in a tomb. That was the worst possible threat to your eternity that ever happened. I'm going to kill your Savior. Good luck getting into heaven. And then on Sunday morning, the stone rolled away and what happened? Up from the grave, he arose. Hey, listen, he already tried. He already tried and he failed. He can do no eternal damage to your soul ever again. You're secure. Nothing you're going through right now can harm you eternally. Nothing the enemy can do to you or try will harm you eternally. You're secure. And when you understand that, you'll see that you can live with joy and that you can serve and carry out this mission. If the darkest night on earth led to a new dawn in heaven that shines brighter every day, 
whatever you're going through can end with joy as well. Do you even belong to God yet? If you do, He'll keep you secure. Nothing in this world can change where you're going. When you get those two things squared away, that I belong to Him and He will never forsake me and I'm His forever, then you can begin to carry out His mission. Look at verse 14. It says in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. He says here that the world hates them. And he says that they will try and persecute them, but he prays that God would leave them in the world. Which makes you wonder this. Are you willing to suffer for your Savior? You can write that down. Do you even belong to him? First question. Do you believe he'll keep you secure? Second question. And are you willing to suffer for him? Third question. I gave them your word. All right, so Jesus' truth is from God's lips. I gave them your word. They believed it, so the world hates them. They don't belong here just like I don't belong here. Do you know the Bible teaches your citizenship is in heaven? You're just passing through. This is not your home. When we started leading our small group several years ago, it was the first time a lot of these people had been over to our house. So many of them showed up, but there was one couple that was late. We were like, where are they? I don't know. Maybe they got lost. They showed up 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late to small group, and they walked into our house, and they were like, so we just walked into your neighbor's house on accident. We're like, what? They're like, yeah, there were a lot of cars. They were having a party. We walked in, thought it was your house, took our shoes off, went to the kitchen, got something to drink, and then we were like, This isn't the right house. (laughs) Wrong house. That's kind of what this world is. You're you're not in the right house. You're, You're in someone else's house. You're going home, but you're not there yet. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. Jesus went to prepare a place for you. Your citizenship is in heaven. Okay. He says, verse 14, they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Verse 15, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The evil one represents Satan here. Okay, understand that while the world will hate you, relatives will heap persecution on you, co-workers will not like your moral standards, your, your peers will think you're weird. Behind it, there's a spiritual uh, battle raging in the heavenly realms. Okay, we don't believe that the heavenly spiritual realm is only filled with good things like light and skittles and puppies and teddy bears. And there are evil creatures in the spiritual realm trying to create war in heaven and overthrow a good God. And that battle spills over into our life, which means you need to pick a side. All right? And, and there is an eternal battle to the death between good and evil, and it is going to end, and good will triumph, and you're going to be on one side or the other. So Jesus doesn't pray, take them out of the world. He does pray, protect them from the evil one, meaning spiritually. When Jesus said to Peter, the enemy has asked it to sift you like wheat. Jesus didn't say no to him. He said, but Peter, I've prayed that your faith would not fail. See, so he won't keep you from physical suffering and harm, but he will keep your soul from shipwrecking. He will keep your faith from dying. That's what Jesus is praying for. 
I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I watch the news, I wish that Jesus hadn't prayed this prayer. Jesus asked his father to keep Christians in the world when they face terrible persecution. Right? I mean, have you been following what's going on in Iraq? We've got pictures here of just crowds of people leaving their home, running away. These are not just Christians. These are minorities. These are other religions. And and this group ISIS is just hell-bent on killing anyone who does not share their militant view. Right? And so they come to town and say, either you recant your faith, you take our faith, you pay this fine, you leave or you die. And brutal, barbaric actions toward Christians. And you watch that and you say, how... First of all, how could anyone do that? But second, God, whoa, how could you let this happen? And then you realize Jesus prayed that the Father would not swoop in, but that he would allow this to happen. Why? Why? Uh, It's because God makes great sacrifices to show the world how much he loves them. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And he didn't just give his son, he gave his church. And it's our sacrifices, it's our willingness to endure persecution that shows the world just how much God loves them. Listen, his wrath will come, okay? God's wrath will come, and those who don't repent will suffer the fires of hell forever for what they're doing right now. Don't worry about God's justice. God's justice is on its way, and it will be eternal torment for those who would do such barbaric things. But you know what? The sacrifice of Christ could cover even these sins if they would just repent. And that's what our heart is for. Are you willing to suffer for your Savior? Do you understand God won't take you out of the suffering in your life, but He'll leave you in it so that you can be a display of His love to others? This is His plan. This is His plan. All of the original 11 apostles but one would be martyred. Keep them in the world. They're all going to die but one. Well, even that one's going to die later. And He says here, He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, leave them in the world. Look at verse 14. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the enemy. The pendulum often switch, uh, The pendulum often swings from side to side. But here's the thing. Christians have to be in the world. We're tempted to withdraw to our safe bubbles, to retreat from the world, and to not be in the world. We have to be in the world. But we can't be like the world. And oftentimes, Christians are exactly like the world. High school students, you put Christian on Christian right next to each other. They say the same things, dress the same, listen to the same things, believe the same things, talk the same way. Okay. Sometimes the church really fails by withdrawing from the world. We can't do that. Okay. We can't say, I'm never going to look the way they look or talk the way they talk or be where they are or do what they never ever. I'm going to reject everything that they're doing and saying and believe I'm going to keep myself and my family far away from them. You're failing the mission. At the same time, we can't say, I'm going to be in there. I'm going to, you know what? We've got to make a clear line of distinction. I'm not going to do everything they're doing. I'm not going to say, believe, think, look like. I'm not going to be identical to them. There's going to be a difference because I don't belong here. I don't belong here. We've got to be in the world but we can't be of the world. Only then will we be able to reach them, and the suffering will come. The suffering will come. If we stay among them and share the truth with them, the suffering will come. Which leads us to the last point. So do you belong to God even? Do you believe He'll keep you secure? Are you willing to suffer? 
for your Savior? And here's the last one. Are you reaching out with the truth of Christ? Are, are you reaching out with the truth of Christ? Uh, look uh, at verse 17. He goes on to say this. Uh, verse 15, don't take them out of the world. Verse 16, they're not of the world. So I'm not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means set apart. Uh, set apart. It could be like someone who has been washed and set apart for a special purpose uh, u- useful to the Lord. I want you to set them apart in your truth, by your word. As you set me into the world, I have sent them into the world And for their sake, I consecrate or sanctify or set apart myself that they also may be sanctified or set apart in truth. Christ is like, yeah, you sent me into the world, threw me on the cross, died, rose again, going up there. I did all that so they can do that. Not in an atoning sense, but in a going out into the world and willing to suffer so that many can be saved. His church is supposed to do what Christ has has done. Are you reaching out with the truth of Christ? Well, we don't. Why are we afraid? Well, we're afraid because we could get in legal trouble. It's, a, it's illegal to talk about those things in my workplace. We're afraid because we could cause conflict in our family. I already have plenty of conflict with my sister. Why would I even bring this up? It's going to create more relational conflict if I bring this up. Right? We don't do it because it could change your reputation. You're one of the cool kids. You're athletic, funny, smart, good singer, popular. This could change all of that. We're afraid. We're afraid to reach out with the truth of Christ, so we just stay quiet. We're unwilling to suffer or to stand out or to be vocal about the truth of Christ. We're not letting God sanctify us to send us into the world on His mission. But the truth is this. Whatever else you think you're here to do in this world, your primary mission is to take the truth of Christ and the love of Christ to the world around you. That's what you're here to do. All right, whatever else you're planning to do with your life, you know, whatever. I want to be the best attorney in the courtroom. I want to be the best baseball player on the, you know, I want to be the best vocalist. Side jobs compared to your primary mission that God has given you, which is to take the love of Christ and the truth of Christ to the ends of the earth. What am I supposed to do? Walk around with a sandwich board every day? The end is near. Now I'm fulfilling my full-time job of telling people about Christ. No, but you understand that every other thing in your life exists to support the one thing you're here to do. If you just make Christ your side thing, oh, once in a while, maybe he'll work his way into my, you're off mission. And you're reaching people that our church can't even reach. You're reaching people I'll never talk to. You're showing them the love and the truth of Christ in ways that, that we can't. You're an ambassador. I really want this truth to permeate our entire church. Listen, I want our church and everyone in here to understand that there are two groups of people in your world, those who belong to God and those who don't. I want you to be able to clearly, in your own mind, figure out who's in which group. Then I want you to know that God has securely placed you in an eternal relationship with Himself through His Son, and nothing and no one can ever change that then I want you to courageously know that it's your job to step out and share that truth even if you have to suffer for it. And then I want you to keep stepping out and keep sharing it even after it doesn't seem to be going so well. And I want us to do that at every age level. Our children's ministry a couple of years ago started having a soccer clinic at Trinity Christian College. We have 100 kids coming out. We teach them soccer, we sit them down, and then we share the truth with them. Kids ministry. Our high schoolers last year 
just started pioneering this new um, organization's plan in the Chicago area to get the gospel into their high schools. And guess what? They use college students to do it. I've told you about this organization before. They're called CSP. Originally, their name was the California School Project. Things went so well in their effort to try and reach high school students in California, they decided to step out by faith and try it in one other state, one city. Guess where that is? They arrived in the fall here with lots of faith, not knowing anybody, just trying to strike up some relationships. And our youth group, some kids there were the first, some of the first to sit down with folks from this organization. So they titled the, um, the group here the Chicago Opportunity now. So it's not just a California thing, but here it's called the Chicago Opportunity. And let me just give you an update on how things are going. After the first year, I mean, they've uh, established a presence on the campuses of four colleges, Moody, Trinity International, Wheaton, and then Trinity here in Palos. They get college students, listen, if you're a college student, listen, they get college students who want to make a difference with their lives, want to reach people with the gospel, they get them together, train them up, and then they give them a high school. They help them form partnerships with high school students and then they start having outreach events and they bring the gospel into the very cafeteria or the gym of that high school. Hey, listen, if you're a college student here, I don't know if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, but you don't want to just mark time spiritually through college. You don't want to take college off from your faith. You want to change the world. Guess what? They would put you in charge of a high school with 4,000 students then you better start biting your nails and getting on your knees because what an amazing responsibility this group would give you. And it's going well. Last year, there were 30 high schools that were interested in talking with CSP. 15 of them began to get coaching. At 10 of these high schools, they did 29 outreach rallies. Listen, over 2,000 people, high school students in Chicago, heard the gospel last year because high school students were standing up and saying, I want one of those rallies here. Are you a high school student? Is God calling you to step up and bring the gospel to your school, regardless of what it costs you? And I just want to say that we are actually really blessed this morning because um, the person who started this organization is with us. They're in from California. They've been doing training for the last couple of weeks. His name is Warren. His wife's name is Mary. Let me just have them stand up. Warren and Mary, where are you guys at? Can you just stand up for a moment here? Let's just give them a round of applause for what they're doing. We also have Mark Hobson, who is the Chicago director. Mark, you could stand up too. Let's just recognize you. He has some folks with him too, but it's great what you're doing. It's great. This is amazing what's going on. It's phenomenal what's going on. We're getting behind it. Um, and I want our teenagers, I want our college students, I want our adults and our children to be mission-minded because Jesus said, Father, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And if we truly believe that people have to hear the life-changing message about Christ, it's our responsibility with our feet to get it into every place uh, around us. We've got to own that. We've got to reach out. The group from CSP has a table set up in the Welcome Center. Listen, if you're a high school student, don't make excuses of why you can't do this. I want you to go up there, shake their hand, and just find out more information about how you can get a gospel group in your school. If you're a college student, listen, go up there, shake their hands, and just hear what they're doing. Introduce yourself. Tell them, what, tell them where you're at. Tell them where you're from. Maybe God has work for you to do here that is unbelievable. Hey, are we ready to reach the world? Well, do you even belong to God yet? 
Uh, Do you believe he'll keep you secure? Are you willing to suffer for your Savior? And are you reaching out with the truth of Christ? If so, God is answering the prayer his son prayed. The gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. Listen, the gospel, (laughs) the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's going to happen. God will say yes, and the son will have the world. All right, it's going to get there. It's going to get to every country. We have the joyful privilege of being a part of it. We need to step up. But I think you have to ask yourself this. Are you even at the beginning? Have you even come to the point where you belong to God? Maybe God brought you here this morning because you don't even belong to him. And he's reaching you right now. He's showing you right now that he wants you to belong to him. And his son will manifest him to you. But you've never been to the son. You've never asked for forgiveness for your sins. You don't have a story of when Christ took you from the world and made you gods. Maybe today is that day. Maybe today is the day that you, as the Bible says, believe the word Christ says. Receive it as your own and obey it as if your eternity rests on it. Hey, listen, I want to give you a chance to respond to what you heard right now. There's not ten steps. There's not five hoops. There's not eight of this or ten of that that you need to do. You need to, frankly, you need to give up all of your other plans of spiritual uh, growth and connecting. Make Christ your only plan. Christ is the only way. And I want to pray right now and give you a chance to pray with me. Let's all close our eyes and bow our heads and let's pray. Father in heaven, I just think of those right now who maybe walked into this room without assurance. They don't know if they belong to you. They don't know if they're yours. They don't know if they're going to heaven forever. But you want them to know that. And that's why you sent your son to manifest yourself to them. So here and now, I pray that they would make a commitment to what they've heard. Pray that they would surrender all of their other plans for trying to have you in their lives and they would simply believe what they've heard. Lord, those who are just feeling that you are drawing them under the sun, they may want to respond by praying along with me, saying something like this in their own hearts. Father, I am in the world, far from you. I have sinned. I've grieved you. I've lived in darkness for far too long. But here and now, I turn from my sins. I believe what I've heard. And I trust Jesus alone to give me salvation. I want to know that I belong to you. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Father, I just pray that those who are broken by their own sin and drawn to your Son would know that you will hold them securely, that you will hear their prayer of repentance, that you will never drive them away. In fact, you will put them to work. You will use them as a light in the darkness. You will make them ambassadors. Drive away from our hearts all guilt, all fear, all shame, and help us to know that we belong to the Holy God through the Savior who came. Help us to endure persecution and suffering. Help us to bring your truth to the colleges and the high schools without fear. Help us to see your spirit well up and create a great awakening like never before. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.